Hello and welcome to Hockey Development Talk. Uh, today I am with uh, Scarborough Hockey Club and I have Chris and Lawrence with me. Uh, evening, chaps. Evening, Gary. Uh, are you well? Good, thanks. Yeah, great. Excellent. Excellent. So, uh, without further ado, do you want to uh, introduce yourselves, the role, a little bit of hockey background? Yeah, sure. Thanks. Um, so, I'm Chris Tate. I'm uh, currently the chairman at Scarborough Hockey Club. Um, I've kind of been involved with the club man and boy, um, so really invested in it. It's uh, been a big part of uh, mine and my family's life uh, for since I was a school kid, really. Um, if you really go back far from things, I got into it uh, hockey from primary school, started playing for Scarborough junior teams that were there. Uh, from then, went off to university, uh, played there, got as I'd been involved in a club that I had a lot of chance to be involved in, uh, got involved in the committee levels at Northumbria, uh, returned back to the town for work and got back involved straight into the committee and I'm still here as chairman. So uh, that's a little bit about my background. Um, but then we got Lawrence, who is very different. Yeah, so I wasn't born in Scarborough, didn't grow up in the area, um, played in a lot of different hockey clubs, played in a lot of big hockey clubs, moved to Scarborough with work originally and found the hockey club. That was five years ago in 2014. Um, from there, went on the committee as um, head of hockey development and was doing a lot of coaching in the club. Left the club for a short period of time, um, went abroad to do some coaching over there. So now come back doing a bit of umpiring coaching and a bit of playing and hoping to be back on the committee soon. Excellent. Excellent. I didn't realise that, Lawrence, to be fair. I didn't realise that uh, that you you went away. Uh, I must have missed that bit. I must have missed, must have missed that bit. So. <laughs> it was only half a season. So. Oh, right. oh, it was only a short period, short period of time. Um, Great, great. Well, it, look, you know, I think if people, what people hopefully will get from this uh, podcast is is that um, just just where you were. So we'll talk about that in a second. To to where you are now, just an amazing uh, journey that the you know the club's been on. Uh, and miraculously, Lawrence said he joined the club in two thousand and fourteen, and then that's where it all sort of started to go uh, go right with figures. So I, I'm just I've always thought it was you, Chris, but uh, we're just going <laughs> to. That's, yeah, that must be true. Going to get some humble brags coming out later. <laughs> okay, so look, uh, let's let's get to the nitty gritty of it. Um, where, where you were, um, I, you know, I've got stats going back a while, but if we go back to sort of 2014, you you know, you registered, affiliated with England Hockey, f- 14 people. Um, ultimately, that's one team, um, and only just a team. Um, yeah. And if we talk about where we are now, so 2018-19, yeah, affiliations changed slightly with we have three categories now. So uh, so category A, your primary member, so which you would have had from 14 to 2014, where you had 14 of them, you've now got 205. So, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about all the other bits in a minute, the added value that you've got going on at the club, all the extra bits under, uh, you know, sections B and C. Uh but like, let's talk about that. 14 in 2014 and then start of 2018-19, we're registering 205. Japs, what on earth happened here? Well, I mean, so, to be honest, Gary, it's, uh, it's really just interesting hearing somebody say that out loud. So we're just sat here <laughs> smiling our faces off um, because we're chuffed just to hear it again. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it, look, it's great. And I know that we've had a few chats over time and... 
you know, I'm really impressed with the work that you've done. And I know that we do, we try and work quite closely together and, and uh, we've got a few developments that we are obviously trying to, to resolve and, and move on. We should probably talk in the challenges later, but like, yeah. 2014 was a dark time, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, and, and that wasn't the only year that you registered 14. So, and and it's not in a negative way. It's it's not sort of down to, you know, down to the club's fault. It was just where it was and how how things had happened with Scarborough. So, do you want to go into it a bit? Certainly, yeah. Um, so in in 2014, um, like you said, we only had 14 people uh, that we'd registered. That thinking back to it, that didn't mean that we had those 14 available every week so it was even more of a struggle as you can imagine people with different shift patterns and availability from anyone trying to organize a team for a weekend uh, can be mm. those of us that had been that had grown up in Scarborough and been around the club before uh, we remember stories of the good old days and how big the club was at the time uh, when I was a junior with the club there was 60 juniors down at training every week. Uh, there was two ladies teams, three men's teams. So we, we always knew that the town had that pull and could facilitate large amounts of hockey happening. Um, but we were looking around and we were still trying to scrape together 11 guys for Saturday. So we realised that something really did just have to change. Um, and that's uh, that's so. What was your first impression then, Lawrence? Because you arrived then. Yes. Yeah, so I turned up in the town of Scarborough in 2014 and um, hunted out the hockey club. And when I turned up, I heard the history of this club that had had multiple men's teams, ladies' teams, juniors. The scene I found was a team that had one men's team that wasn't particularly successful at the time. They were struggling to get a team out each week and had had. A couple of seasons of, of bad results and going down the leagues. I think at the time it was pretty much a two-man operation between Chris and the first team captain at the time and it was literally trying to pull together enough people to get a team out on a Saturday. Um, so that's that's the scene I arrived in and... Um, Didn't put you off though, did it? <laughs> well... <laughs> The, the biggest the biggest thing that greeted me was was the social side of the club. So I turned up and was immediately felt very welcome in a town where I didn't know anyone and turned up to training and every single person would come over, introduce yourself, um, invite you, you know, to the social things that were going on, whether it was just a drink after training or if it was anything they were doing any other time of the week. And I think that's where the growth really started. It was from the social side and just how welcoming that small group of people were to anyone new who came along. Mm. That's great. That's yeah. really good. You know, uh, we, we've been talking a lot recently um, with different people on the podcast about environments and that welcoming mm. environment is massively what a club needs. Everybody needs to feel welcome. Certainly new people that are coming to the club and by the sounds of it, you did that well. Um, so you, yeah, and I'm, and I appreciate with adults, um, young adults come into the area uh you know an alcoholic drink is probably gonna win them over so yeah uh, yeah I think it, it really helped how the those of us that were still in the club um were people who had just sort of come out of the university lifestyle mm -hmm. and had been in hockey clubs around there so we we sort of still had that going while we were all still starting our careers so to be honest the sort of the age demographic really was there was some people who were at sort of sixth form college age um and we went to about mid-20s 
that was sort of around around sort of the, the age demographic that we had. So it was not an unusual group to have in a pub. No, no, definitely not. No. So so we've got that. The following season we've registered thirty two. I'm assuming that something's happened at the end of 2014-15 season where, is that where the ladies came in? or how, how, yeah, So sort of talk me through what's the, what's the initial thing, that if you can go back to, that you started to put together. No, so the, the ladies didn't come till later, actually. We had the 2014-15 season where, as you say, we registered 14 people. And that was the first year where we started to kind of reach out in the community and bring people in and it was people who'd come down and try it and then through that very social approach that first captured me we began to retain people and by the end of that 2015 season we got to the point where we kind of had one and a half teams and sometimes people were available for the weekend but they were missing out on hockey and we had to try and work out how we could not lose those people yeah it was um because we, we we had lost a few previously by them not making it into this the first 16 that we had available um yeah. and then when you're not calling people up for a month at a time and then you do have loads of space available and you need them to make an 11 they they've got other commitments because okay. they've made other commitments there so we realized we we sort of had to take the plunge to um jump up and get turn our 1.5 teams into two teams for the men's. Um, We realised it was going to be difficult, but uh, at that point we also needed to provide a level of hockey that was available to beginners. Because we were still getting relegated from our higher league standing when we did have a lot of local players who left the town for various jobs and things like that. So it was finding that balance. Um, While people had the chance to to learn the sport and get involved and maybe play for the first team. But then also just having some at a purely recreational level with just a group of friends that wanted to play some sports and then socialize afterwards. So it was, it was, it was really that, that balance out. And the main goal for that year was to get two teams of 11 out. Yeah. Which I'm assuming that you did do. (laughs) So, um, um, and yeah. then it was the year after that we uh, we judged how well we were doing on how how many times we didn't cancel a game for lack of players. Yeah. It was uh, it was the other teams and the opposition that cancelled on us that was the reason we weren't playing the games. So which is was, that's a good you know it's not a great way to to look because obviously we don't want any games cancelling. But no, you know, when you think of the position that you were in that year and then the year later, that, that's how you're sort of looking at success. Um, so it wasn't around the winning. It was actually about yes, our fixtures are on, or it wasn't us that called called it on a Thursday. <laughs> so pretty um, much, yeah. <laughs> pretty much. Okay. Fine. So that, that's good. Now, committee wise, at that point, um, did we start to have a bit, bit more structure? I, I appreciate that you would have had a committee in two thousand fourteen, fifteen, but as Lawrence was saying there, it pretty much looked like it was just two people running it with a few people that had titles. Did we start to, to sort of get a bit more? Yeah, um, committee wise, it was essentially all the same jobs as a committee, but yeah. it was just a long jobs list for two or three people. Yeah. Um, so our, it was just, can you, can you take this piece of paper? I'll take this one and we'll crack on with it. And, um, and it wasn't until we could get stuff just ticking over of the sort of the bread and butter of how many people are turning up at training, how many people are turning up on a weekend that you could look beyond 
mm. that element of running a club and you could actually yeah. start doing stuff where you are exploring more recruitment avenues and uh, and things like that. So it, it was a, a big hike in the first time that we really started looking more at the committee and it was just grab people in to do any bit of work that they could, whether that was just taking on the responsibility of uh, collecting the money and the subs or the register of people that were there, which is quite easy when you only had 14 members yeah. of the club. But the more yeah. you get up there, just checking that you've got people's phone numbers so that they've turned up to training and then you need them to play in a game, but you can actually get hold of them. Yeah. Uh, all, all those little things that you were struggling to do while also the people running that were also coaching. So uh, that yeah. side of the element was a, was a struggle. Absolutely. Okay. So we've, we've started to, to sort of develop. We've, we've got a few more people helping out. That, that sort of takes us into 2015-16 where we've doubled the numbers. Well, a bit more than doubled really, go from 14 to 32. 16-17 was a huge turning point in the fact of we've registered that year 112. <laughs> so within sort of 18 months, we've gone from 14 to 112. Um I mean, something big's happened, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. We, we were, we were um and ahhing about a lot of um, things about when we were going to make the next jump, like we did with the men's second team and entering them uh, yeah. into the leagues. So we had um, some ladies that were starting to come down to training and they were just joining in with what was men's training at the time because there was only a men's team. Um, yeah. But they were just joining in and it was... It was great. That was building a few numbers and uh, things were moving on. But then we, we suddenly realised that we've got to actually, like we did with the men's second team, we've got to uh, put a ladies team into the leagues if they're going to have any hockey to play. So uh, it was the same sort of position with that. But fortunately, that summer, um, Team GB pulled off something big and that uh, produced a bit of a catalyst for us, really. Uh, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it certainly did. Um, and also at that point, you, you, from what I can gather through the affiliation data, you started to bring in juniors as well because it was about about from that 112 it was about 40 of them that were juniors. And when we're talking juniors, we're talking under 18s. So I know there wasn't a huge amount of like five to tens, but certainly that teenage group was starting to to sort of build in numbers as well. Which which is again just a credit to, to you and the club that you were committed to to not only going down the adult route, but you were committed to that sort of teenage year group, which is quite hard and uh, to to sort of attract, appreciate that you've you've got a link with the school. So when did that link sort of start? Uh, the link with the school, um, it first started when we moved there to the AstroTurf pitch and we were uh, a customer. Basically, we moved there in... Uh, 2012 around yep. around about that time um, and that was just because we we couldn't fit around the football sessions that were going on at the community pitch um, mm -hmm. we, we couldn't really get in there it was a difficult situation with um, the, the location of it and uh, the fact that the hockey goals were really quite vandalized uh, as well so we didn't have the best access to equipment and, and things there but then we were able to move up because it was the, the school was the only school in the area that was uh, doing hockey as a provision yeah. in their PE lessons, and quite a few people from the club um, were ex pupils at that school. So we had a bit of a link um, to, to get along there. 
But at that time, we really were just a customer. And the relationship as that's moved along over the years um, and that has built up, we've really become a partner in the sort of like the hockey ethos and way of moving that forward. We've got so many students from that school and from the other schools in the area that are now involved. Um, and we wouldn't have been able to do that without the support and the help of Scarborough College, uh, who have that AstroTurf there. Um, well, one of the things that was pleasing for us, though, that when we started the junior section and we were getting the kids in and we were doing it at Scarborough College on their pitch, we were pleased to find that it wasn't just dominated by the Scarborough College kids. We were getting mm. kids from every school in the area coming and... I think the figures are probably close, but it was maybe about 50-50 of Scarborough College yeah. and other schools. So not only did it benefit the school, but also the kids were able to meet people from other schools and things like that. So we were pleased to see that our reach expanded beyond the college that we had this relationship with. And we were actually getting the word out into the community and getting yeah. people from schools outside the town as well in as to play. Yeah. Yeah, which is, uh, that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, great, great. I mean, look, just in within the eighteen month period, there the growth was, was was ridiculous. You know, it was unbelievable that you managed to do that. Granted that some of that was around the Team GB stuff that you've mentioned and, and you, the Golden Rio, which it's great to hear that that's kind of sparked it. That then takes us over the next eighteen months, two years, where we've gone from one hundred and twelve to sort of two hundred and five. Um, there's obviously been challenges along the way, which we'll, we'll chat around. But j just before we go into to sort of how we've got to 205, I think it's really important to explain to the listeners that during the summer, you, you know, you do deliver a variety of programmes. Um, and I know you do do some of it during the season as well. So it's not mm. just summer, but like during the summer, your your hockey club does not shut you know, it is, it is this, we are quite open. So I'll just take the listeners through, through the 2018 summer of last year, you ran back to hockey, which had 28 different people attending. You gave juniors a give it a go. You gave an eight week program there, 46 um, people, 46 juniors took part. 16 of those are actually new to the club as well. Yep. So brilliant. You did an indoor hockey session for, for for the club members. You offered a little bit of indoor for four weeks where you had 12, 12 adults taking part. You also did a summer sevens where that was also available for club members. 23 people took part. I assume that was going off to another club and playing in their sevens, I think. Is that correct? That was, yeah. It was. Uh, yeah. We had some good links at the time and still do with uh, City of York Hockey Club. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we established those through the... Uh, hockey forums uh yeah you'd been setting up as mm -hmm. as our relationship manager and so they were just inviting us down for the fact that we didn't have to host and organize something yes. the people that wanted to could just get in a car and turn up so Brilliant. which Brilliant. was also very refreshing for the people who were doing non-stop organizing they could just play yeah absolutely a, well, a, i mean that's big, great when you can go somewhere else and just take part isn't it <laughs> so, yeah yeah <laughs> so that was that was a bit refreshing for well, certainly for me and you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that. good. So, so not only are we offering things for for people that weren't members of the club, we offering people for the club as well. But then you do you did two other things in the summer of 2018, which which I love to to sort of tell people around. So I I, I appreciate that beach hockey can't be copied to a lot of places because not everywhere has a beach. But the concept it's just rush hockey on a beach. 
basically, isn't it? Um, so yeah, we, yeah. <laughs> eighty-seven. You don't mess about with names, Gary. Beach hockey soccer, is it? Really? Sorry, yeah, I'll go with it. <laughs> Different way to play. That's what we'll go with. That works. 80, yeah, eighty-seven people during an eight-week program. 87 different people, sorry, um, took part. You're averaging over 30 people a session and you had 35 newbies that had never picked up a stick before or not played for the club in any way, shape or form. Yeah. And, I mean, that's that's amazing in itself, but I haven't even finished yet. Then he did five days of this big dribble, so which um, we'll get into a second of what that, that actually was, where you had 391 people take part over five days and 337 again when new to the club you'd never sort of had any dealings with them in the past gents like that that in itself is a season what you've just done there <laughs> just in the summer so how how do you get all these people to help you with this what's what's the what's the going rate <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, basically, it comes back to blackmail from what we managed to do off our social side building back in 2014, really. Um, but jokes aside, obviously, um, yeah. people really like getting involved in seeing where this is going. Yeah. And uh, you can call in favours when people are bought into what's happening within your club yeah. and the fact that this is going to make a difference. Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, well, I mean, been... some... Sorry, carry on, carry on. When we've been so successful and we've grown from the numbers we had to where we have where we are now a lot of the new people who've come along that journey with us have heard tales of where we were and seen where we are now and that gets them very invested in what we're trying to do because mm. they're part of that data and they're part of that growth and they want to see it continue to grow so it becomes easy for it's, it's not always easy to get people to commit to a, a full committee position or doing something all year round but we send little things around at the end of the season asking who would be willing to volunteer as part of our summer programme. And then it's just dividing a very, very big job into lots of very small manageable pieces to a lot of different volunteers. Um, so it's about just making the job small. So it might be just someone will take responsibility for setting up the goals on the beach. Someone will bring the sticks down. Someone will organise a warm up. Someone will do a bit of social media. And it's not just one person doing everything, whereas it used to be. And uh, now we've divided those jobs up. It's a lot, lot easier for us. Brilliant. And that, that's great delegation. I like delegating. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, but I know on a serious point, that, then I think that's really good that in a club, you've, you know what you've got. You, you've also then got to like, think, right, we need, we need a, someone to do X, Y, Z. And like I said, just as simple as taking the, the goals down to the beach. It's a job in itself. You've got to get yeah. them. Yeah, so that is a job. I like it. I think that's really good. Just let's just have a quick recap then. So back to hockey, 28 people, six-week programme. Um, it was a mixed gender one. It wasn't just male and female from what I can gather on these stats here. Yep. Um, delivered by, is it one person, two people, three? How many people do you get involved in that to help deliver? Uh, in some ways, it depends who's available. Yeah. Um, but we typically have, um, and we reflect on that as to what numbers we're getting down each week. So if right. we have a big turnout one week, we then realise we need more um, coaches down uh, yeah. to, to help with it. Okay. Typically, we have one person leading or facilitating a session, but we try and do it a bit as a bit like a sort of circuit training. Mm -hmm. So a, a, around the pitch, we'll set up different activities 
So there's sort of drills and games that are already set out and we'll give a drill in a game to a established member of the club who's been around for a while. And um, so like if you were down, it'd be Gary, right. Can you take um, this shooting drill? Uh, you'll have people there for 10 minutes and then they'll move on to that tackle box drill or something different like that. And we'll just be rotating people around. So they're getting there, getting a good chance to try loads of different things with it which we found is also a great way to introduce people who may be interested in doing some coaching in the regular season. Yeah. Give them a a go. Just let let them loose on something, but you've also got a coach there to suddenly stop if it gets a little out of hand. So we've we've had some of our senior juniors, so our under-16s, under-18s, who might not have done any coaching before, but they've started playing the sport. They've started to express an interest in doing some coaching. So we've invited them down to be a volunteer and a facilitator at back to hockey sessions where a qualified coach will oversee it and they get a taste of it. They get some feedback and it's it's an easy way to get them interested in the coaching side for the future. Yeah, no, I think it's good. Really good. So you, you kind of build anything in. Chris, just be aware you've just sworn on my uh, podcast as well. You said the word drill. Oh. That is a bad word. So, yeah, a, a sorry about that. A structured activity. I do apologize. Yeah. <laughs> You don't worry. I'm only kidding you. I'm only kidding. I'm only playing with you. We're not talking about coaching today, so it's fine. Um, <laughs> the the junior hockey give it a go stuff. Um, again, similar sort of concept, different activities, people coming in, trying to have lots of fun, uh, stuff like that. Is that how that works at the moment? Uh, pretty much. Um, in some ways, and we, we can use the same session plan for back to hockey as we can for... <laughs> The junior give it a go yeah. because it's it's just engaging people and getting them to try something new and and enjoy it and have fun with it. So any game that you can play and enjoy as a kid on the hockey pitch, you can do as a beginner adult or somebody returning to there um, in the same way. You just make it a little bit quicker if yeah. if the group I, needs it. I used to change the the game to like pirate island or something like that that i do with the kids i wouldn't then call it that with the adults but actually the adults were like so what they some of them knew it was a kiddie game so like, what do you call it with kiddies pirate island and then the next thing they were starting to do pirate noises and all this kind of stuff yeah. <laughs> so actually you actually really do want to be these people right okay so thanks so you are now just being a kid and you do forget that at times you know you forget that these adults have, have been let out <laughs> in some respects they've yeah, let, they let themselves go and they actually do don't, they don't mind it uh they're there to have a bit of fun but also learn so yeah i like that i like that beach hockey turn up put into get put into teams play some games on a beach pretty much is that is pretty that much yeah. and yeah uh, where we live it's the, the beach is the most popular place to go and yeah. it's where most people are um because our town is 180 degrees surrounded by the sea so yeah. We were trying to work out how we can make hockey more accessible and more visible to the public and to the community. And apart from it being <coughs> a free AstroTurf that we, you know, we don't have to pay for any of the facilities, it's also where most of the people in the town can view <coughs> hockey. And the amount of people we see who stop, watch, they yeah. come over, they give it a go, they try. And then some of those people are now members of our club who are playing on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. And that's just through being visible. Indeed, it is. So I, I know we talk about it being free, but there are some logistics around that, aren't there? You can't charge. You had to apply for a license and stuff like that. So that took a little bit of doing, didn't it, in some respects? I know the council have helped you with a little bit with that. 
But is there anything else? You, you can't charge, can you? Because it is on the beach, if I can remember rightly. I remember having that. Well, yeah, we, we, we can't charge without getting a trading license uh, yeah. for something on council property. Yeah. Um, but also, it, we can't charge because it's not costing us anything. No. Um, it's, it yeah. would just be, it would be very obvious that we were being an absolute scam if we were trying to charge you the same that we charge you on an AstroTurf for yeah. doing a session. And we're just essentially having a kick about the same as somebody that's brought a football down with their mates uh, down down the other end of the beach. So that that was that was one reason um, to do it. The it really started because it was um, we did pre-season fitness where we were running along the beach, and then we'd get some sticks out at the end of it to start getting used to that ahead of um, getting on the astroturf when it came close to the season. But then we realised that people weren't turning up for the half hour of fitness session and they were just turning up with the hockey stick when they knew we'd be playing yeah so, that'd be me yeah was, uh, yeah yeah <laughs> and to be honest that was that was how everyone wanted we actually just wanted to play and have a muck about on on the beach and it's um it's, it's really daft because it's when you take astroturf away from it um the beach for all of the um divots that you may find in there the the way that the sand's been left the fact that you're playing around sandcastles sometimes if it's been a hot day in the summer. Yeah. Um, getting tackled by a sandcastle is an experience that everybody should try. Um, you don't really get over it. <laughs> oh, Chris. What a terrible joke as well. You don't get over it. I like it. I like it, it. It wasn't a joke. It was real life. Oh, bit. right. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> but it's it's a fantastic thing because it takes away the the skill element of really experienced players that have come along who can do loads of tricks to dribble and get past people um, on the AstroTurf. They have to go back to real basic hockey, just like um, back in the days of grass hockey, where you're playing simply and you've got to use the rest of your team. So it was a fantastic way to get all of these new beginners in there, working along with your sort of your competent leaders and your players and helping them become sort of your competent beginners around there and get up to the level where they can get involved and become those advanced players well it's definitely worked mate to be fair it's worked um so look you're great great on that just to, to be clear we use the the sort of rush hockey goals we're using either a quick stick ball or a rush hockey ball so the bigger lighter weight balls that can be used on any surface you just take a bag of old sticks with your some um, yeah, some wooden rush hockey sticks that we had, but yeah. any old sticks will will do for just playing on the beach and cone uh, it out, cone your pitch out, or not bother. Just let it, just free reign. You goal at one end, goal at another. Yeah. Pitches. How do you how do you work that? The boundary is often the tide, um, <laughs> so we'll we'll play to the sea, and as yeah. the tide comes in or goes out, the pitch will often get bigger or smaller. Nice. Uh, we do sometimes have to move the goals to a a drier area of the beach, yep. but it's um, yeah, it's it's not particularly. Uh, there's no cones separating the pitch or anything like that. It's just within reason. Yeah. Back to the days of jumpers for goalposts. Brilliant. In, in the playground. That's what you want to see. I like it. I like it. Okay, that's great. Great. And you know, I suppose we should thank the council for allowing those activities to do to happen. Um, you know, I, it, it's always it's always it's always tricky, isn't it? You've got to get a license, I suppose, to be able to to do it. So, you, don't you have to fill in some form, don't you, or something like that, to to be able to to run your yeah. program on there? 
you, you have to, and for your own club insurance as well, uh, you have to submit a risk assessment. So yeah. just like your risk assessments that you have on the pitch, it's just in a different area. So um, just think about where where your access access points are for and emergency vehicles if they're down there. The fact that you have got a first aid kit and somebody that knows how to use it and that you've got a phone just in case of emergencies. Easy, easy. Yeah. easy. <laughs> okay, then the final one, this big dribble. I, I mean, I've had, I've had chats with uh, Mike around this about what you did. Yeah. So... Yeah, 391 people, 337 different people over five days. What on earth happened here? Um, well, we realised that we just wanted to get the word out again. Um, we were just really trying to push anything and everything we could do um, with the club in the local area so that people started um, responding to when you said that you played for Scarborough Hockey Club. People didn't say, oh, I didn't know you had one. We didn't know there was hockey in the town, so we wanted to just get the word out there. Um, we came up with um, how easy it was for people to join in with uh, beach hockey, but if there was just a quicker and easier way to do that, we just had um, a couple of lines of cones down on the beach one day um, when there was a big event, and we just got two people, two friends, and we had them race round the obstacle course yeah. and come back. So it was just a bit of competition with any people that went past, and then... We'd have someone there with a clipboard um, just taking uh, their names um, and just recording like how old they are just for our stats. And if they were local and wanted to, give us your email address and we'll let you know about the rest of our summer programme. Brilliant. Brilliant. Just as simple as that. Simple as yeah. that. It was, it was right. based off the same fundamentals as the beach hockey that we just wanted to be in places that the most possible passers-by would see us. So it started... At the beach and then from there we went to a, a local scarecrow festival that has thousands of people down each day and we went from there to a local music festival so it was again just trying to pick the the times and the places where there was going to be the biggest footfall of traffic to be able to see our sport and to be able to give our sport a go excellent excellent right well well done summer of 2018 was uh, uh what six different activities um going on uh over a varied amount of weeks just unbelievable numbers so gents you know big pat to you and the committee and the rest of the people that helped you get all those done um there's there's obviously been some challenges along the way to to get to where we are which we'll go into in a second but let's let's celebrate some successes so for, for you, just if you could name a few successes that, that you and the club have had over this time. And I don't necessarily mean about like results in a game or like winning a league, but there's there's obviously some huge successes. Big success for me looking in from the club is you've risen from 14 to 205. We've had that discussion. So we probably don't need to really say that that's now success, but it, it has been. What else is, has been successful for yourselves? Um, well, I suppose really from from those numbers alone, um, we started getting more recognition within the town. Yeah. Uh, so we've had more things like in local media, we've been pushing our own social media and you can mm -hmm. track how many people are interacting with that. And you're having more conversations, more people are hearing about it. Uh, it's getting into more schools with mail shotting and we're getting responses from there. Yeah. Uh, but we got recognised uh, last year, we won Community Club of the Year. 
in in Scarborough and the local area, which mm -hmm. was huge for us because looking at that trophy and um, all of the different clubs that are listed on there, it's uh, the trophy was over 33 years old and hockey's never been on there. Wow! So uh, that was a huge, huge thing for us. Yeah! Wow! Amazing! Well done! Yeah, and to be recognised by your own local community as the you know the community club of the year is is fantastic, a huge achievement. It it shows how far you have come. Um, other successes? Anything else? One, two others? Yes, yeah, so that was a, a very good award in the local scene across all the sports. But then within our own sport of hockey, we have been recognised nationally. And in May 2018, we were the winners of the England Hockey Innovation Award um, for all the things you've talked about there, Gary, all the different schemes, but mainly on the beach hockey as yeah. the starting point of where we got this big boost in participation and membership. Excellent. Excellent. And, uh, you know, from there, I know I've had numerous conversations with people around sort of the beach hockey concept um, and sort of trying to look at ways of being creative with that because obviously they don't have, they were talking about AstroTurf. So I said, well, try and remove the AstroTurf and think about where else you could go to. So, you know, Absolutely. is there lo local parks and stuff like that where you might need to get licenses for? So that's, that's definitely created lots of talk. So it's been, it's been great to, to chat to those right. people around. So. And we've, we've loved talking to people about it and just any club that thinks that they may have the time to be able to do that. So many clubs across the country have put on fantastic events. They do great work on the pitch. The one downside is that AstroTurf pitches tend to be away from the public. Yeah. So unless you are going to that school or that leisure centre or that club that's fortunate enough to have their own uh, Astro surface, people outside of the club aren't going to see all the stuff that you're getting up to. Yeah. So take it to them and do it in front of their faces and get hockey happening. It's uh, you, You'll be surprised at the amount of people that were just unaware that all of this awesome hockey activity was going on yeah no fair point great tip great tip there chris thanks i think that's really a really good point to make to the listeners um to do that you're going to need volunteers um to do that you're going to need people to buy in you you guys have managed to get uh you know a serious buy-in from your club members and that they are prepared to give i think a lot of that comes from the environment that you've given them on arrival you know take lawrence for example you know, it, I think that's a really good thing to have. So you, you're really engaged with your members. You're in, you, you know, you're passionate about wanting to get to know what they would like, etc. Um, so, but the challenges, the, do you want to talk through some challenges um, that you've faced um, over time and that you've managed to sort of overcome? We've obviously overcome the numbers challenge, but uh, with that, with the growth, comes growth in volunteers more facility uses required any any challenges that you've seen that you've sort of had to dip in the pockets for or sort of think right well, we're gonna have to change this yeah one of, one of the biggest things was as you said that 2016-17 season was the first year we really experienced a big growth um, we'd already decided in the summer that we were going to launch the ladies program again so we were kind of prepared for that but we thought maybe the juniors would would come a bit later but then obviously the gold medal in Rio yeah uh, after that we started getting a lot more interest from from kids and from parents yeah. and myself and Chris had to have a conversation where we said we can't wait for another gold medal because we <laughs> don't know when that's going to happen yeah. um so 
we took the plunge and we started off the, the juniors, the boys and the girls. And at the time, that did really stretch the infrastructure we had in the club. Um, myself and Chris were coaching every night of the week, whether it was the men's, the ladies, the juniors. Um, and it was a big, big ask for us because we'd grown so quickly. Um, and we got to the point where we, we were struggling a little bit with the amount of work we were yeah. having to do. And it wasn't until we put more focus into growing our infrastructure rather than our club members. So growing the amount of coaches, growing the amount of umpires to make mm-hmm. it possible to go further from there. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's that's the point. And that is definitely where a lot of clubs are at. So um, to do that, I'm assuming that, that costs a bit of money as well. And I know that we had this chat the other night. Um, you kindly, uh, for umpiring and for coaching, uh, have uh paid for certain people to to do their upskilling i know that other clubs pay 50 percent, 25 percent. some pay nothing you've just felt that actually because of where you were and that you're really passionate about sort of developing the club that actually if we're going to expect them to give their time you're sort of going right we're going to pay for you to do this is that is that, is that fair yeah uh we found over, over the years in in different the club's been in different positions and different situations for um, what we need regarding coaches, regarding umpires, or just any skilled um, hockey facilitator. So mm. putting people on courses was something the club needed. Um, that person that was kindly giving their time didn't need to travel all the way across the county to go on a course to then come back and give up part of their week. So for them to do that and pay for it at the time was something that the club wasn't able to find those people. And that's no diss against the people that that did do it. We're not saying that they should have uh, paid for it. We just weren't in a position where that was something that our club uh, warranted at that time, but it's worked really well uh, so far. And the people that we have been putting through courses have been paying back in buckets for the time that they've been volunteering. So uh, yeah. I'm so grateful to that. Yeah, I would agree. They've definitely bought in, mate, with everything that you did just in the summer of 2018. That required a lot of volunteering and a lot of manual hours. So they've definitely uh, they've definitely done that. And I think that's a, that's a credit. So um, other challenge, obviously, there's always the facility challenge. But I think your facility provider that you've got now within the school are, are quite good, aren't they? They, they are. They do allow <clears throat> usage. Uh, I appreciate that you have to fit around school fixtures and stuff yeah. like that. But that. That's a challenge that you are doing, but communication sort of helping within that, I think, isn't it? Oh, yeah, definitely. And things are, are only getting better the more that mm-hmm. when when we're now viewing the, the relationship as a partnership, it's a different sort of conversation that you have. Yeah. And and both parties want each other to succeed. Yeah. So it's it's how, how we can work that around, um, what sort of things we're able to share so um, like we've offered when uh, we've got home games and there's school home games, if we communicate and coordinate a bit better, then some of our players that are also umpires can turn up earlier or stay later and help out with the school fixtures that are going on. And it's just all a bit of um, help and assistance around stuff like that. Sure. Uh, the, the biggest help that um, Scarborough College did for ourselves was when we were looking to start the juniors uh, section, we realized that we had to do it on a different uh, session from what from the adult hockey that we were doing. Yeah. Um, 
but it's always been the sort of the gamble of are we able to get enough people down to definitely cover the cost of the pitch yeah um and that was the main barrier that we had when we were a club that wasn't in a good financial position uh, anyway how how could we take on what was a big gamble mm. at the time so we had um we, we had conversations with the college they realized that it was great for their students as well to have another um outlet to play hockey so they helped us out with um the gift of giving us the astroturf um to get our fledgling club up and running um to get this happening so without that assistance i don't know if we'd have been able to um justify the gamble on and the expense of that extra astroturf time brilliant and i think that's you know awesome uh, great relationship building there with your facility provider um and i think that's that's something else that clubs could possibly take out of this you know is um it <sighs> It can be challenging working with different facility providers, but actually spend a little bit of time with them. Hopefully make them feel welcome, you know, make them feel that, you know, that you need them, they need you. It's a mutual agreement. And I think once you can get to there, then that's great. Appreciate some facility providers. It doesn't always come across like that, doesn't feel like that. So that makes it a bigger challenge. You were made to feel welcome from them and they've, they've, they've been good to allow you to, uh, to to grow and and offer you that opportunity, um, which is awesome, awesome. Um, the future. So if we look at it quickly. What do you think the future holds in the next couple of years? Do you, do you see the growth continuing? Do you see you still offering all this different summer activities, or do you think things are going to slow down a bit because you need some extra time, or is there you know is there a focus on anything? Uh, in some ways, all of the above, Gary. Yeah, uh, we really. But um, uh, now we're in a bit of more of a position where we've got more people on board. So all of this year-round activity uh, that we have is more sustainable because it's not relying on just a few people. That um, let's face it, everybody has their own lives to live as well outside of hockey. So they've they've got to be able to have time for for other things to to commit themselves to. So it, it can be. It can be difficult to prioritise uh, certain parts of what we're able to offer as a club, but probably in the near future, the, our main goal is growing the infrastructure of the club so it can be sustainable for the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've we've got the, the footfall of people um, down at the moment, and we want to make sure that we can certainly keep hold of these people uh, in the club before we really look at a massive uh drive to gain more and more members we know we're going to gain organically um anyway throughout what we've been doing our data trends have been telling us that uh but we've also got to invest in in ourselves for for building up and being ready um for this uh team wise on a weekend um we're having some great successes on the pitch and that's that's shown because of all the people that have been coming down the the coaches that we've been able to attract into the club um people who have returned uh back to the town instead of driving um several hours to go play for a different club um they're, they're back in their hometown grassroots uh hockey club which is fantastic for us um yeah that's great it's good, really good, really good to hear. Um, uh, I, I think the future is bright. I know that we've had some some discussions. I think that there's definite uh, support from the college to, to continue to grow. There's definite support 
Um, gents, small glitch, and we're back. Um, <laughs> uh, so whilst they're in there, as I do think that the future looks bright, um, there's, there's definite uh, developments that are, are obviously uh, in place. We've chatted um, previously with school and i say we as England hockey uh, relationship manager chatted with school obviously you're working with Jamie from a facilities point of view yep. at the moment, which is which is awesome uh, I think the council have been involved the sports partnership so you know everybody seems to be now sort of pulling together so I do I do believe the future looks looks bright um, obviously an area for, that we haven't really chatted around at the moment in your junior section the under 10s it, it's quite it's quite small there's probably 15 of them at the moment um, re registered through your affiliation for, for a club of your size. Mm. Um, sustainability, you're going to need a, a huge more of that. So I think um, we're, we're right in saying that we've chatted that primary school engagement, growing that under 10s is something that you're, you're quite keen to do. Definitely. Uh, we know that that's, uh, to avoid being a cliche, that you know the kids of the future, they're going to be the people that are playing adult hockey. And so we've got to start really upscaling our junior setup from the juniors currently that we have. We've got teams and we have training that hosts between uh, ages 10 and 16. Um, when kids are 13 plus, they're able to also attend uh, senior training um, when they're at a level that they're suited to it. Um, but we need to start um, encouraging more under 10 so that we can start filling the lower age groups of the junior training so that Absolutely. is that is a an up and coming step for us really and I, I know we've got some plans to get that in place with yourself yeah 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 for sure and that's something we've chatted around um coaching structure umpires obviously again you're looking at sort of continuing to grow a few more internally through that and put a few more through workshops and courses um you've previously held your own sort of workshops as well um i know there's been some challenges around getting umpires assessed which i think chris you're you're trying to, to sort of help and and support with by yeah when you're assessed aren't you doing some um work, yeah. working up the ladder so that i yeah. can uh, take the middleman out of it really yeah yeah which again is great so i think only thinking proactively so look you know i think overall the future is bright you know and it, it is great I, I enjoy coming to Scarborough I, I've, I've visited a couple of times now and um uh had fish and chips every time which is <laughs> I know it's it's uh, uh obviously everyone goes we'll go to Scarborough gonna get fish and chips I did and uh I was very proud when I did that and uh, uh took a a nice uh, picture and sent it home to, to my wife whilst I was having that for my dinner so uh, which went down real well so <laughs> I don't mind coming to Scarborough at all um Look, been fascinating um, chatting to you, looking at how the club's grown uh, from where it was, um, chuffed a bit with the way that, you know, you've, you, you've gone out, you've engaged the local community, you've, you've driven the club to, to where it is now. But, you know, as, as we've said, it, it doesn't stop here. It's going to continue to evolve that's going to require more people to get involved, which uh, is is definitely happening. So if people do want to get involved, somebody from randomly outside of hockey is listening to this or they're moving to Scarborough, how can they get in touch? Uh, well, certainly over, over the over the summer years, summer, summer years, over the summer, you can definitely yeah. find us down on the beach uh, yeah. randomly if you are just going to 
see that happening. Anybody there is welcome to come over, say hello, get involved. Yeah. Um, other than that, just pop in a, a, a search engine and uh, you'll find Scarborough Hockey Club there. Um, will appear on all social medias uh, that you can find. And uh, we're happy for anyone to get in touch at any time. Brilliant. Brilliant. Look, Chris, Lawrence, you've done a lot of work over the over the years. A massive uh, high five, a well done. Uh, I, think, I think you've done some exceptional work. Um, it's been great meeting you at the forums that we've had, which I must say in North Yorkshire are really useful. The, the guys in North Yorkshire, you're really supportive of each other. You share ideas. You're bouncing things off each other. You, you, know, you discuss sort of some challenges that you have in trying to overcome it. I think it's really healthy for the sport to have a, an area that's like that. I, I, love, I love coming to visit those forums. Um, uh, just a big, big well done. And, you know, just you know, massively send back to your members and people like that. Me, in my role uh, here, not just on Hockey Development Talk, but also through English Hockey, I, I really appreciate how how driven they are to helping you drive this sport forward in, in Scarborough. Um, it's, it's brilliant. So, well done. Well, thank you. And a uh, big thank you to, to yourself and uh, the other people from England Hockey that are working uh, with small and rural clubs like ourselves. Uh, I know we've struggled to get a, get, a, get a shoe in the door when there's so much wonderful stuff that's happening on international and European scales with the large clubs. So having some recognition uh, from yourself and getting some shout outs is, is brilliant. And it, if it hadn't, we hadn't seen it happen elsewhere, we wouldn't have thought we'd have been able to do it. So thank you for keeping this going. No, no honestly, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's great. I'm, you know, I love working with you. You know, it's fantastic. You know, really appreciate everything that you do. You've got frustrations as every club does, but you know, we we try and iron them out. That's the role of a relationship manager. So uh, we try. That's all we can do, isn't it? Um, thanks again, chaps. Really appreciate it. Brilliant. Thanks, so, mate. Thanks, Gary.